0: It's that time again for the assault on your ears we call Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me is Stavros. Tonight on our screens is Episode 7 of Season 2, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. And what's in our cups tonight, Stavros? Well, we have selected
1: Hot Damn Cinnamon Schnapps. The brand is Kuiper. It's actually a pretty thick schnapps, I must say. Um, I don't usually drink this kind of drink, but I'm I'm having it uh, over ice right now. And um, it's pretty tasty, although it does kind of vaguely remind me of chewing gum flavors. If you've ever had cinnamon chewing gum, I don't often have cinnamon drinks.
0: (laughs) It is a uh, cinnamon liqueur. It has quite the bite. As you mentioned, though, it is quite thick. I do enjoy a small glass by itself. However, it makes a fantastic mixer with... Pretty much anything citrus flavored. Interesting.
1: I may have to try it with something else too. I'm, I'm kind of just having a fun time sipping it, but I may have to mix it after we're done recording.
0: Indeed. Now that we know what's in our cup, what is on our screens here, Stavros? Yes.
1: Yeah, so well, let's talk about this episode where pleasant fountains lie. So, with the cerritos is the, of course, only ship in the quadrant available to respond to the Hyperion Queen's ship. Billups, the chief engineer, must deal with his mother's latest attempts to make him a king by tricking him into having sex. Meanwhile, Mariner and Boimler are pulled off course delivering an evil computer to the Daystrom Institute.
0: Oh my god, Billups is the chief engineer? I had no idea. Thank you for (laughs) filling in, our listeners at home. I mean...
1: (laughs) You know, they never say his name, but I know
0: he's your bro. Two seasons in, no idea. I'm sure our listeners were just as clueless. Well, you know what? Now they know but yeah fantastic we're finally getting a billups episode and once again i know the dynamic duo of billups and rutherford
1: are teaming up are you so excited
0: oh yeah and i like the fact that tendy's on board for it too
1: <laughs> that's right tendy sent him along i was confused a little bit by that but you know what you need a bromance true, i have true, to give it true, to you, a true bit. friend tendy i don't know about that she'll exit the friend zone eventually i i believe in it it's going to happen
0: no such thing as the friend zone my friend (laughs) well you know
1: i wanted to first cover the episode title um for those of you who don't know at home where pleasant fountains lie is actually a shakespeare reference shakespeare has a poem called venus and adonis and in that is uh, where that line can be found, actually. A
0: quite lewd reference, no less. Yes. <laughs> yes,
1: indeed. It's, it, it certainly fits the, uh, the episode. But you know what? I, I fell into a deep dive doing research for this episode. So you know what? We're just going to talk about what the, this poem is about. So in case you didn't know, Venus is the goddess of love in Greek mythology. And Adonis was a very attractive mortal she comes to visit him she sees him and he's like wow that adonis is super hot and she comes down to visit him but you know what adonis is just super into hunting she's like you know please stay and he's like no you're just lusty for me you don't actually love me funny story he actually tries to leave on his horse but then his horse falls in love with another horse
0: so, so is <laughs> what you're out. saying is that uh adonis is uh attempt to be seduced by all the wondrous things in the world but he only cares for hunting, much like that's a certain correct. chief engineer only cares for circuits and silicon, yeah, that's right, but yes,
1: in the in the poem, Adonis finally leaves to go hunting, but the wild boar he's hunting gores him, and he bleeds to death. Venus finds him, and he's bleeding to death. Venus gets very sad and says that you know what, from now on, love will be accompanied by the possibility of grief and sadness. And she goes back.
0: Well, I mean... So yes, that's the whole story. It seems like it already was. I mean, that that kind of is what happened in the story. Um,
1: <laughs> yes. I see I see how you put that together. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the moral I, of the story. I, I feel like <laughs> Venus is
0: kind of you know late to the party here and taking claim for something she didn't invent.
1: <laughs> yes. But anyway, so the line specifically, the full line is... So at, at this point in the story, oh, Venus boy. has gotten Adonis to kiss her but not but he's not really interested in anything else and she goes graze on my lips and if those hills be dry stray lower where the pleasant fountains lie and you know what if you're thirsty i guess that's where you go when you're when you're thirsty
0: well there's multiple different kinds of thirsty my friend we all get a little (laughs) thirsty sometimes if you know what i mean
1: yes Yes. So that's the full reference. I thought that was fun. And I I actually didn't think of the Adonis Hunter and then Phillips Engineer thing. It's uh, pretty good. Although, no one dies.
0: Yeah. And uh, the real question is, he died, Adonis did, and who mourns for Adonis? (laughs) They should do
1: an episode about that. I know. Actually, funny story. I looked up that. I was like, is there, you know, that Toss episode, is that also for Adonis? But... The way that's spelled in the original series episode, the way that actually means yeah. like a like gods, like a general term. Yep. So it's actually separate from Adonis in the in this poem we're talking about. Indeed. Pretty pretty interesting if you go down this Shakespeare mythology rabbit hole like I did. But you know what? We should talk about Billups because he's your boy. We learn his first name.
0: Everybody is my boy apparently. But yes, <laughs> and Arethio. <laughs> They can't just, he's he's Andy, but it's short for Andorethio. Can't just have a normal name like Andrew or Anderson or...
1: Nope. It's like Rutherford who has a Samantha as his first name.
0: Yeah. Don't know what they're uh, doing with this. You know, it's kind of nice though and a little bit refreshing to have names evolve over time. I'm willing to bet though if I went digging there would probably be some sort of reference that Andorethio is actually a real world name. Star Trek tends mm. to do that. It digs into real historical names to name their aliens. So it's, you know, a name you're not going to encounter most likely in your daily life. It sounds unusual. For instance, I actually right. have or had a great uncle named Oda. Oh, really? Yes. It's Interesting. It's a, uh, a name. Though, <laughs> it, from what <laughs> it I understand, is. it was weird that there was a dude named Odo. I guess it's a female name. I don't know.
1: Oh. Hmm. Well, interesting, but I'm I'm just glad we got to learn a little bit more about Billups. You know, Paul here did a great job. He he voices Billups anyway, but he definitely gets his moment in the sun in this episode. I I, I think my favorite my favorite line from him in this episode was, "Will it hurt?" <laughs> so You're good. a little too
0: old to be asking that question, Billups. <laughs>
1: So why is why is it so funny? I mean this is like I mean Lord Dex is not afraid to go into some sex jokes as we found oh, out. Oh no, that previous, this this uh, whole
0: episode is full of them. Yeah. The title itself is a sexual innuendo. Yeah. But the way they use the sex jokes in this one is just fantastic because they're they're used <laughs> as a metaphor for his coming into his, you know, kingship, his royalty and oh i don't know why but that just works perfectly as because um, <laughs> it's both literal and figurative and oh, yes god yes fantastically crafted yes but then rutherford of
1: course pops in and says did it did his kingdom come <laughs> which i was just like oh it's like on the verge of being too much but no it's oh uh, yeah so. so
0: it's it's definitely not <laughs> like the mugato scene where it's it's a little too no. explicit and a little too gaudy you
1: know yeah yeah i was gonna point that out actually i i thought that bugato scene where he grabs his horn was like a little too much for me personally but perfectly pulled off in this episode i think sex jokes in star trek somehow can be funny even when they're the premise of the whole episode Well, and and
0: the whole thing is the sex jokes are using sexual innuendo to right glaze over what he's really afraid of and that would be well i mean becoming king he doesn't want to be royalty Okay, I thought you were going to say perform like performing. Oh no, not at all. Phillips <laughs> can. Fair enough. Phillips can perform, baby.
1: He can make that engine perform. He can align those coils, man.
0: Yeah, you'll get uh, that engine running
1: smooth and steady
0: <laughs> all night long. Womp 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 womp. Yes,
1: I can see you're really excited about this. <laughs> but, you know, um, let's talk about his people. They're Hyspirians. I think it's a new, new race or planet uh, or people, as far as I can tell. Just for Lord X. the ship itself super fancy and like gold plated. Uh, it was kind of like it was almost as gaudy as the pack of the planet, but not as much. It's just uh, kind of flowery and metallic and stuff. But you, it's kind of interesting. There, there's no transporting uh, to that ship. Um, they, they only want to use that little uh, interconnected ramp or, you know, the little, the little walkway the between the port. two ships instead of transporters.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Why do you suppose that is? They wanted to show off the ship more. I, I don't think it matters. What's well, what's even more interesting, you mentioned, like, just how stylized the ship is. The exterior is just it's yeah. a fabulous design. I always love it in Star Trek when they take the Roddenberry loot rules of, you know, warp mm-hmm. nacelles and buzzard collectors or Boussard collectors, and they mm-hmm. turn them into something unique and fantastic looking right the mainline Federation ships itself you know the Enterprises uh, Voyager a lot of the B ships they all create this like beautiful concept of you know technology is magic it's not the blocky ships of the expanse it's these flowing organic shapes that roll into one another but are very clearly technological and they do the same thing with this particular ship uh, not just with the exterior where it has these great flowing lines, but also with the interior. I don't know if you noticed there is very alien looking technology, but it's not like alien in the strange outer creatures created this, but alien in the right. it's technology that harkens back to a past that you know viewed the future differently. But even more than right. that, though, there are scenes where you see in, like, hallways, the technology yeah. is the same as what, you know, the Federation right. is using. It's not completely alien technology. Uh, leads to one of the great right. jokes, the uh, the elf relays. <laughs> yes. Don't call it that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> pretty amazing. They, it sounds like, like you said, it's, like this, it's a planet that is made up of, like, Renfair. They even say it's like it's like ren fair people that settled on a planet that has dragons on it and they just they just wanted to have fancy technology that they just call medieval fantasy stuff and that's just their whole shit yeah.
0: and you know what that is <laughs> uh it's not a common trope in sci-fi but it is a trope in sci-fi of once we get out into space and there's limiting factors on you know the actual needs that we have food shelter right. clothing You know that stuff will start to just form packs of people with common interests and live in completely different (laughs) and bizarre communities yeah you even see this yeah you even see this in that tng (laughs) episode up the long ladder yes uh, where the people are living as if it were you know what the 1800s 18 yeah Uh, yeah you the irish people yes the the low-tech and the (laughs) high-tech people who came from like the same colony ship or something Mm mm-hmm but you also see it with the people who live on the cloaked planet. I think you see it a little bit in well, throughout all the series where people have just divergent societies because they separated off from their baseline yeah. society to live however they want to live.
1: You know, I was thinking like why why is this a thing? And it's got to be a connection with the episode title. Like there, you know, it's a Shakespeare reference. Um, a lot of the episode is drawn along the the lines of the poem. It's got to be, you know, the Ren and fair people is, be, you know, because of the Shakespeare reference. That's just that's just got to be it. That's that's the only thing I can think of.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the the I think it all works together. The Shakespearean sure. reference, the old timiness of uh, the big thing people always associate, you know, uh, Renaissance festivals with, like their. Medievalness of them, but they're they're the Renaissance. Right. You know, the same time that we were evolving into modern culture. Shakespeare himself wrote a lot about this era, and I'm not sure he was actually a Renaissance poet per se. Uh, my history isn't that great, but the title itself is just a reference, obviously, to Billups's plight. Right. But then you know they weave that into the Renfair planet and her people.
1: And, you know, there is one shot where Tendi is researching Rutherford's disappearance, and you get a close-up of the uh, schematic of the uh, High ship. Um, It looks like an MSD, the Master Systems display you would see on a Federation ship. Like I said, Um, Federation technology. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. But I I did a little freeze-frame investigations, and I don't know if you spotted this, but uh, apparently the ship is literally carrying horses, and there is a large chamber with a dragon on it on their ship somewhere. Not just horses. Which is pretty amazing.
0: But like a whole deck of horses. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty good. Dragon gets its own little room. A lot of attention to detail there. Kudos. Yeah. to uh the producers whoever made that happen. Yes.
1: But you know what? That leads me to a very mini damn it Mike segment. Damn it, Mike McMahon. You're telling us that these people are from a planet with dragons, and the schematic shows dragons on the ship, but do we see any dragons in this episode? No! Would it have killed you just to show us a dragon for, like, just a split second? Would it have? You could
0: show us a damn dragon. You know, usually you're just going on about some nonsense during these damn it, Mike segments, but. I'm on your side on this one. I, I think we need to see more of Hyperion. I think we need to see the dragons. Yes, we need to see their whole culture yeah, and society. Hopefully, this becomes like a recurring Luoxana Troy episode, and oh, she'll yeah. come back in the next season.
1: Yeah, it could be. I mean, there are endless opportunities to try and get Belips to bank someone. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of that, the, the royal guards try and you know seduce him um, into becoming king, which of course is a thing but i mean those
0: guys have a very specific skill set yeah it's a, a little little you know. dark trained <laughs> from birth to skip foreplay super <laughs> super subtle implied darkness right there <laughs> oh man i'm not sure if we need to yeah let's let's move on a little dark yeah. oh, you know, let's let's <laughs> let's turn on the time machine roll back a few minutes and talk about something Speaking yeah. of banging and mothers, okay. I notice it's interesting. Well, so so Billups's uh, voice actor is uh, Paul Shear, right? Mm-hmm. So the woman that played his mother is one uh, June Diane Raphael, okay. Who apparently is married to Paul Shear. <laughs> I'm not sure the message they're trying to send. Oh no! <laughs> but I suspect timeline would approve.
1: That is amazing. I mean, it's cool that Paul got his partner to come in, but is this really the relationship they wanted? But also, it's hilarious. I think we'll be just fine with if, the, if she makes a return appearance. Uh, but you know I think we need to do is uh, switch on over to the B-plot. I think it's more of the B-plot. And that is Mariner Boimler taking Agamas, the Jeffrey Combs-flavored evil computer, to the Dijkertrum Institute. How cool is that to get Jeffrey Combs back on, the, on a Star Trek show? Oh
0: yeah, it's great. He really shows why he is one of the best Star Trek actors. Just so much presence and yeah. even when he's hamming it up, he just creates this <laughs> great performance.
1: He doesn't even need a face. This character doesn't even need a face. You know, you know and I, I got to give credit
0: to the costume and makeup people. Once again, I didn't even realize <laughs> that was Jeffrey Combs until I heard his voice. <laughs>
1: yes I mean, of course we know jeffrey combs has done a multitude of characters and almost all of them i think are wearing makeup like heavy makeup yeah. of some kind yes it was great he he makes it a hilarious and kind of menacing enemy luckily boimler is there to uh, to, to thwart his plans so despite the situation that they get in
0: yeah another evil robot to contend with for our hero kind of funny like a couple of things involving agamas i you know
1: i have a one-year-old kid and when boimler like constructed like a little baby carrier to put uh, agamas in i thought that was uh pretty hilarious can't walk see him walk through the desert with that thought that was pretty good wait
0: you, you have a one-year-old kid stavros i thought we talked about this those 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 kids at the park they're not. They're not adoptions. Mine? You can't just pick one up. I don't take those and home. walk away with them. Jeez, man, <laughs> we talked about this.
1: I know, I know. But no, seeing that, uh, seeing that computer in the carrier was was pretty hilarious. Um, and one thing I wanted to point out, and I want to get your opinion on this too, is when uh, is, uh thinks he's you know won and is plugged into the. Computer or the the ship that uh, Boimler and Mariner are purportedly going to fly out of there. Um, we get like the little um, vision of him, uh, you know, leading this planet or this system, and with little death drones flying in, I I thought that the silhouette of those drones looks similar to the silhouette of the drone in the TNG episode "Arsenal of Freedom," where that hologram tries to sell the Enterprise crew some some death drones.
0: Did you did, does it look the same way? I think you're right. It's much more it's the same basic shape concept just much blockier
1: it's similar enough to to kind of be a little reminiscent i feel like the artist probably looked at the at that teenage episode maybe for some uh, inspiration
0: well and i also think though that that design the little ball with the larger ball on top or in this case the mm. little cube with the larger cube i think that's a pretty common right. sci-fi design aesthetic
1: okay makes sense but it was cool to see. It kind of gave me a little like, oh, I think I know what those are. Indeed. But yeah,
0: the final scene
1: when the Agamist gets put into the Daystrom Institute, like wall of self-aware megalomaniacal computers, pretty good. Pretty good ending to the episode as well. I had to, I had to appreciate that. That was like some kudos to the writers there. I'm a little concerned if any, if anything bad ever happens at the Daystrom Institute, like you know, security fails in some way. I'm a little worried about that, especially when you put them all in one place.
0: I feel like the whole network the one thing They're i 100%. loved about it is they stick him in the box right or in his cubby and right then they do the pan back and before that you can already tell that there's <laughs> other robots here and right it's just him talking and at first you're like oh this is going to be like an indiana jones scene right where they pull out and <laughs> right. reveal the giant facility and i'm like "Ah, it's been done and then the machines start talking to each other oh <laughs> so good such great comedy there as they all argue over who's going to rule <laughs> and like
1: i said if they all escape they'll all network together and make this the strongest computer personality win i hope it's jeffrey Combs. <laughs> but you know in this b plot i what i wanted to talk about um a lot is how mariner and bloomler interact on a character level so um, as you know from watching the episode, Mariner actually foils Boimler's assignment, like a combat assignment, basically, to go clean up some centipedes or something. Yeah. Um, so she, just, she totally pulls him off this assignment by just talking to Ransom. And we kind of get a lot of Mariner thinking she is still kind of Boimler's babysitter here. Um, and that's despite all everything that we've done this season so far. Um, you know, of course, Boimler kind of... Resists and pull, you know, kind of pulls a fast one on her at the end. But I'm not sure I really like how Mariner is dealing with him. Like they're the same rank. Should she she, should she be doing this? You know, it's it. I'm not a big fan.
0: Well, you know, it's it's characterization, right? Sure. You just don't know her true motives. Did she do it because she's afraid that he'll gain prestige from the mission and eventually abandon her? Did she do it because she still views him as a wet behind the ears puppy who needs her protection? Did she do it yeah. because she's insufferable? Insufferable! <laughs> but the thing I yes, do want to mention, though, true. is that this is fantastic because she basically did the exact same thing she called Tendy out for doing in the last episode. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Completely. Completely. But, um, I mean,
0: it, it all ends
1: okay. I mean, the one thing, I, though, like, Boimler's Gambit with Agamas Thank God it worked out because, uh, you know, I I wasn't really sure where they were going with this. And especially when he stuns Mariner, I don't think Mariner would ever shoot Boimler on purpose. She, she's already stabbed you know, him. Kind of I mean, what's the diff? Yeah, that's
0: true. <laughs> Although she was hammered when that, when that happened. It's so. No excuse, man. Trust me. I have uh, a couple <laughs> of court findings that illustrate that perfectly.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. I, I won't ask anymore. Speaking
0: of which, uh, we may need to skip next week. I've got some community oh, service dear. to take care of. Awkward, yeah, maybe a good idea.
1: <laughs> but uh, you know, Boimler actually does show development here. I mean, he's he's kind of whiny and show offy about his time on the Titan, but I feel like he's getting more competent. Like gone are the days of Boimler being completely incompetent on the um, in that first season episode when they're tracking the Klingon general through the uh, planet districts. I mean he seems more, you know, he finds the food, he manipulates Agamemnon into doing what they want. So I'm glad to see some development there for Yeah, Bob. yeah, he's
0: growing increasingly like genre savvy and <laughs> yes, uh, increasingly confident. So, yes. The question is though, you know, where does this go? You can only go so far before you run into a <laughs> scully situation where, "Hey, you've met aliens 50 times. Why don't you believe?" <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think this is all going to come to a head at some point with his transporter duplicate. I hope we see that happen during this season. I really wanted to uh, get that resolved. But yeah, cool to see character development there. Let's see what else. And there's a, there's a bunch of little things I wanted to bring up. Um, the the uh, push up glasses on the bridge of my nose, nerd. You know there the uh, there's a scene at this at the beginning of the episode where Boimler's cleaning his phaser rifle and mariner's like oh what's the difference between a phaser rifle and a regular phaser and he's like oh it it takes two hands but you know what we get we get uh descriptions shows about explained yeah (laughs) there's a ds9 episode where kira like dissects features of the federation phaser rifle and it apparently has fancy tech stuff like multiple target acquisition and gyro stabilization yes so there are some differences there mariner yeah
0: just, just point that out well it's like I always say why would you want a phaser or why would you want a phaser uh, cannon when a phaser rifle is enough to destroy a building the real <laughs> question is that's true why would I want to destroy a building when I can hmm. destroy a whole city <laughs>
1: how many uh, shots on setting 16 can a phaser really do before it's out of juice
0: seven
1: uh, let's see, what else? There's a couple other fun little things. One thing I, I want to ask you if you noticed, so there's the shot when Tendi finds out that Rutherford is probably dead and she's in sickbay, but, and she like turns and looks out a window towards uh, the High ship. ship. There, has there always been a window in sickbay, or is this just a
0: thing that they just threw in to accommodate the plot? You know, I don't think we've ever seen all of sickbay in one shot, and for all we know, this is a different sickbay. Why would a ship not have mm. multiple medical facilities? You know, it could be.
1: It's something I'm gonna have to pay attention to now. Just like sensors, I'm always gonna be looking at, at the uh, sick base set to see if um, there's don't don't look too closely, man.
0: It's just gonna drive you mad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other cool thing I found when Captain Freeman is uh, reviewing the pad with Rutherford's name on it for the deceased and, Queen, and the Queen's name is on there as well. If you freeze frame, because of course I did, the last name on the list is L. Playa P L A Y A and i I, it's loot player isn't it oh my god yes it's the loot player that's he's jamming the comms in the Hyperion ship by playing his loot (laughs) and you see him in the very next scene when rutherford tries to call billups oh
0: man that was amazing did not even pick up on that that is awesome (laughs) it
1: is certainly a cool little detail
0: Yes, I do want to point out though that like as she's like looking at the screen, she taps the photos to mark them as dead. (laughs) Man, that's a cold design feature. So dark. You, you, (laughs) it's like a little X over Rutherford's face. You feel like there wouldn't be like just a list of people you pull up and click on them to show that they're dead. I feel like there would be more (laughs) to it.
1: You know what? This isn't the first time that uh, Rutherford has had a brush with death. So
0: I do want to point out though that uh, Rutherford nearly dies. And there's a brief moment yes. where they're telling Tendi, right? And they're they're right. kind of serious about it. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry, your friend has died. And you're like, oh, wow, yeah. they're being all, you know, courteous and respectful. <laughs> and then at yeah. the end, turns out he's not dead. And everybody's all like, yeah. oh, good for Tendi. And it's all like, um, that's a pretty emotionally traumatic situation to be in. You feel like maybe he should be a bit more respectful? <laughs> no. Yeah, I think Rutherford needs to be sent to sensitivity training. He's going to learn. They're all just
1: ensigns. They need to pick up on some of these uh, social skills. So. From
0: what I've seen of Star Trek, nobody ever does.
1: Hey, at least LaForge isn't on the show. He was the worst at uh, picking up social cues. Uh, one final thing I wanted to mention. So food once again becomes a topic of discussion for the characters in this show. You know, earlier in the scene it was pear in the season it was pears, uh, and then on the planet where Mariner and Boimler crash, it's this liquor, this like black licorice theme. And I feel like the, the artists have really got some food pet peeves, man. Like there's no reason for the replicator to continuously just make licorice, and the plant life to have something that just tastes like licorice. I feel like the 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 writers are just like like the lead writer whoever that is i'm sure we can look at the credits and find out just like you know what sucks is pears and licorice man we're going to we're going to f those foods up on our on this show this season. nobody
0: likes black licorice i don't understand how it's a thing i feel like black <laughs> licorice it. its primary market is people who have not had black licorice in a long enough time that they've forgotten how bad it
1: is <laughs> completely possible
0: but yeah it's not just that it's the replicator thing too you know there's yeah, constant yeah yeah you know banana hot there's the uh you know million combo mix there's boimler being rejected by the replicator i don't
1: know they seem (laughs) to have a bit of a fixation is that like a like a type of humor maybe is like food humor it's gotta be gotta be gotta be like in the with the origins and cream pie you know throwing except in, in this show it's replicators and maybe that's it
0: Hmm. yeah
1: the writers just really enjoy that but speaking of food you know what shows up at the end of the episode is cake
0: yeah what's the deal with that why are they all just eating cake in the
1: (laughs) it has got to be because phillips is back they're like welcoming him back with cake because they oh they thought he was
0: oh wait a minute oh god this just got real dark what if they got the cake (laughs) before phillips came back (laughs) and they're celebrating (laughs) that he's gone (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. you know all it takes is like they just
1: have to like scrub out one word on the cake and it's probably fine yeah
0: oh god yeah that's
1: <laughs> it's something to think I, I, about no
0: it's something to forget about i don't want to think about this
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah find lots of fun little details to either remember fondly or to forget about entirely so do you have anything else you want
0: to cover or are we are we out of things to talk about yeah, no, I think we've talked about... I mean, we hit on the cake. That doesn't make any sense. We hit on the weird Billups and his mother relationship. Yes. Pendy being traumatized. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to mention the last thing we hit on. I, I think we've talked about everything I was interested in in this episode. Except Jeffrey Combs. But we would have to do a whole episode oh, to talk about his amazing performance. I think so. Maybe after season two. Maybe. If that's the case, then I guess it's uh, time we shut this thing down and put our cups up for the week. But, of course, we'll be back next week for our Episode 8 review. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, at LowerDorks, or, if you're so inclined, you can seek out a distant Renfest and find two gentlemen cosplaying sci-fi cosplayers cosplaying renaissance festival with doors. it's us right